Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. How would you like a 15% discount to my daily email? The stack of stuff, the show notes, discounts to the conference, all of that. All you need to do is text the word show to 33777. You'll get the annual subscription with a 15% discount to my daily email. You'll get the stack of stuff, the links to the show notes, discounts to the conference, and so much more. All you have to do is text the word show, S-H-O-W, to 33777. Text show to 33777. Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, hour two. I want to talk about a story. It didn't get a lot of attention. I, let me back up for just a moment here. I have a very cool job. I get to sit behind a microphone in a room where there is no one. It's just me. Perfect job for an introvert. And I get to talk to millions of people about what I want to talk about. Now, there's a catch. If I suck, I'm boring, and I'm not entertaining, then the ratings go down, well, I lose my job. But if I can be engaging and entertaining and hold your attention for what's called an average quarterly hour, then I might be able to keep my job. One of the things I like to do is based on my frustration with so much of the lack of seriousness in the world today. So I like to talk to you about stories that I consider some of the biggest stories on planet Earth that no one is really paying attention to. You'll get occasional blips on the media radars. They'll poke up every once in a while. And, and you'll you'll hear occasional stories about it, but not really. And, and my job here is one to, to tell you that there's more going on than politics in the world, although this is somewhat politically related. But also, it's some of the most important stories on the planet. And I want you to think about them. If no one else is going to think about them, at least you will think about them. And I will feel like I've done my duty to put on your radar uh, very important things that you should know about that otherwise aren't getting attention. One of the stories that I have been talking about for quite some time is about the Sahel. That's the fancy way of saying uh, the Southern Sahara region of Africa. It stretches across roughly from uh, Mauritania and Senegal all the way across to Eritrea, Djibouti, Ethiopia. Uh, The big ones, though, are Mali, Niger, Chad, Nigeria, Sudan, the Central African Republic, Benin, Burkina Faso. This is, if you look at a map of Africa, you kind of have a vague idea of where the Sahara is, is the giant desert mass throughout North Africa, and it stretches down, um, if you call that that part of Africa that juts out and around, the, the head of Africa, it 
goes about halfway down. And then you get into grasslands. The desert gives way to grass, and then the grass gives way to forest, and the forest gives way to jungle. But there is an area there. It is a sandy, arid area of grasslands. It's called the Sahel. And there are some very large countries in that region. Sudan, Chad, Niger, Nigeria, Burkina Faso, Mali, Mauritania, Senegal. Mali, by the way, if you ever heard of Timbuktu, Timbuktu is a real place. It used to be a massive kingdom. And Timbuktu is in Mali. Now, this area of the world on the southern end of the Sahara has a lot of issues with poverty and religious conflict. There are Christians and there are Muslims and there are um, tribal pagan religions that battle it out. Uh, there are Muslim terrorists, Islamic terrorists. After the war on terror began with the 9-11 bombings and, or plane crashes, the Bush administration realized they had to go into Africa and eradicate some terrorist hotspots. Uh, Nikki Haley's husband is actually on active duty in Africa right now. Um, one of the things that you don't appreciate because it doesn't get a lot of media coverage is there are massive special forces operations that happen on the African continent. Now, the African continent, for perspective, is, is massive. You could fit uh, North America and Europe basically inside Africa. It is a massive, massive continent. with massively sized impoverished countries. And Islamic terrorists moved in and they were given safe haven in some countries and in some countries they took over. And in a lot of countries, what the United States did is they went into countries and built up the armed forces of those countries, stabilized those countries, and those stable countries uh, provided resistance to the Islamic fighters. And a lot of those countries used to be countries back in the day that were friendly to the Soviet Union. Very wisely, when the Soviet Union fell, George H.W. Bush, then President of the United States, began to push rapidly into African nations with diplomacy and aid spending and military aid. It was maintained by Bill Clinton and by George W. Bush. And the thinking was this. With the Soviets collapsed and these economies dependent on the communists, if we could convert them to become American allies, it would provide stability on the African continent, a continent that had otherwise been in a lot of turmoil. And so despite some isolation and tendencies in the United States, it was money well spent. We did not spend a ton of money. Less than a single percentage point of the American budget goes to foreign aid. And less than that went to these African countries, but in the process, we were able to build up trade ties, we were able to build up military relationships, and we were able to build up a bulkhead against Islamic terror. And we were also able to push aside the Soviet influence in a lot of these places. But there's a problem. And the problem comes in the form of Joe Biden. See, Say what you will about Joe Biden, and I've said a lot. The, the bottom line reality is that the president of the United States is surrounded by people who have embraced critical theory, 
they have embraced intersectionalism. And because they've embraced critical theory and intersectionalism, they believe that the United States is bad, inherently bad, and that these uh, countries are colonized countries and we should leave them alone. So the progressive wokes of the Biden administration have walked away from the African countries that we had been building goodwill towards and military relationships with, and guess who's come back to them? The Soviets, now in the form of Vladimir Putin and the Russians. Now, this is also very important because of the push by Western countries to get into batteries. Because guess what the Suhail region has a lot of? Mineral resources needed for batteries. So the wokes who want us all to drive battery-powered vehicles do not want us to have strategic ties to the Sahel region of Africa because we're colonizers and they're colonies. So they've made us get out and allowed the Russians back in. The Russians have partnered with the Islamic radicals to cause problems to the United States to disincentivize our engagement in these African countries. The Russians and the Wagner group in particular have overturned a lot of these countries in military coups. And now guess what happens? With the head of Wagner killed by Vladimir Putin in that plane crash a while back, and the Wagner group exiled to the African nations, and many Russians not wanting to go hang out in Africa, the Wagner group is recruiting the African militaries to become part of the Wagner group and expand their mercenary capabilities, and also uh, let the Islamic radicals off the chain. If you want to understand where intersectional critical theory gets us, it gets us to this mess in Africa. The wokes and progressives of the Biden administration won't engage with African countries because uh, we're colonizers, and so it's bad for us to do anything with them. Uh, they want us to um, be behind in energy policy and dependent on China for rare earth minerals. So the Chinese and the Russians are buying up the mines and in some cases just taking them over. They're not even buying them. And now we're dependent on China and Russia for our national security and our energy future. And the wokes love that. The wokes love that we're dependent on Russia and China for our energy security. They love that we're dependent on terrorists for our energy security because the colonizer has his comeuppance. And the reality is they put us behind on our national security. It is genuinely insane what this administration is doing that, you know, remember PEPFAR. PEPFAR is actually a great program. PEPFAR is a good program that has helped wipe out AIDS in Africa. It was a program that the Bush administration put in place with the support of evangelicals, you should notice. It's very funny to watch Republicans uh, turn on PEPFAR because the Democrats have been promoting it, completely ignorant of its history, that PEPFAR was actually a program put forward by the Bush administration with the support of evangelicals that was fought by the Democrats. The Democrats hated the idea of the program, and it turned out the program was radically successful, so much so that the Democrats have been converted to its worthwhile, even if they don't like aspects of it. But because the Democrats now like it, the Republicans are like, well, screw PEPFAR, we should get rid of it. It's, it's one of the wildest role reversals I've ever seen in public policy. Because Democrats now like something Republicans came up with, the Republicans now hate a highly successful program they came up with. But the Democrats hate 
that the Bush administration and the Trump administration were making inroads with these African nations and building ties with them. They despise it because they view us as colonizers. And because they view us in some way as colonizers, they believe that the the programs themselves should be eradicated. And yet they are really good programs that have really helped us stop a spread of terrorism on the African continent. And why do we want to stop the spread of terrorism on the African continent? Well, overwhelmingly, it's Islamic terrorism. And overwhelmingly, what are they using uh, the African continent for? As a training ground to ultimately come here. We use African countries to kill them. We train the African militaries to kill the Islamic terrorists. Our soldiers aren't dying, and we're keeping the fight there instead of here. It's actually a money well spent. This is similar to the situation in Ukraine where we're letting the Ukrainians use our weapons to kill the Russians, so we're not fighting the Russians. Republicans have a problem with that. Well, Democrats have a problem with it in Africa. It's the same ironic thing that we're doing with the strategy in Ukraine, except we're doing with African countries, except the wokes view the Africans as colonized, oppressed people, and we as the colonizer oppressor, so we should abandon them and leave them to the Russians and the Chinese and the Islamic radicals, and we are all going to get killed because of what the intersectional wokes and the Biden foreign policy settings are doing in Africa. They are abandoning a continent to Islamic radicals and Russian mercenaries. We had a strong foothold. And you know, by the way, you know why Putin is doing this. It's because he believes if he can stir back up Islamic radicalism in Africa, we've got to divert resources from Ukraine and Europe to Africa. He's intentionally provoking Islamic radicalism, not because he likes it. He doesn't like it either. But he knows that they're going to come against us before they come against him and that us and the Islamic radicals fighting each other ties up our resources so Putin gets a free hand. It's actually a very good chess maneuver on the global board for Putin. For all of you who say you don't want your sons and daughters dying in Ukraine, I just want you to see this landscape. Because your sons and daughters aren't dying in Ukraine. They're being sent to Africa. And what's the Biden administration doing? Allowing the destabilization of Africa by Russia and Islamic radicals, where your kid's not going to die on the battlefield in Russia, but there are growing odds they will in the Suhail of Africa because the Biden administration decided to let the intersectional wokes set his foreign policy there, and that's meant a retreat from an entire continent And who's filling the void? China, Russia, and the very Islamic radicals. We don't want to be there. Thank you, Joe Biden. We've had some new listeners asking if I can explain what I mean by intersectionalism. Uh, Yes, uh, most of you longtime listeners, you've heard this, but it is worth it. Uh, So intersectionalism, it's a Marxist construct on how to view power that's been embraced uh, by a lot of people on the left. Marxist or not, a lot of them don't realize it's actually a Marxist power dynamic. Uh, And and what intersectionalism believes is that uh, everything is about power. Everything is about power. It's part of critical theory. Everything is about power. Um, So the world's power dynamics are divided up based on attributes. Um, You're the color of your skin, the country you're from, your sex whether or not your gender aligned with your sex, uh, your sexuality, whether you're heterosexual or homosexual, your disability or lack thereof, 
your religion, you combine all of these things together. So if you are a white male from the United States who's Christian, has no disability, uh, is cisgender, that is your sex and gender align, uh, you're, you, you have a family and you have a college degree, you are the most oppressive person on planet Earth. And anyone not you is oppressed. And the further away you are from that, you're more oppressed. So if you're black from Africa, lesbian, Muslim, go figure how that works, transgendered amputee, well, you have the greatest moral authority on the planet because you are the most oppressed. And so the oppressor must be quiet and listen to the oppressed. If you're white, you're an oppressor. If you're non-white, you're oppressed. And the white people must be quiet and listen to the non-white people because they have moral claim. Why do they have moral claim? Because they're oppressed. And the intersectionalists argue by being oppressed, they see the world more clearly. That's intersectionalism. And that is how the power dynamics within this White House work and how they see the world. Africans and Palestinians oppressed. Jews and Americans, oppressors. You have to understand that to understand how they see the world. It's screwed up Marxism. Now, that screwed up Marxism comes to play in our economy as well, where things are topsy-turvy and they tell us the macroeconomic picture is good, but you know at the microeconomic level it's not. And then there's this war on cash where they're trying to control how you spend. Swiss America is trying to help you protect your hard-earned assets now and wants to reveal to you the secret war on cash in their new report. You can get a free copy by calling or texting my name, Eric Erickson, to 800-289-2646. That's 800-289-2646. The All Out War on Cash includes digital forms of currency, and it's spreading daily. You can read the Secret War on Cash report completely free. Just mention Eric Erickson when you call or text 800-289-2646. That's 800-289-2646. Now, you can also go to SwissAmerica.com slash Eric if you want. SwissAmerica.com slash E-R-I-C-K. Fill out the information on the website. You can get the Secret War on Cash report from Swiss America. But it's also really easy. You want to call or text my name, Eric Erickson, to 800-289-2646. Message and data rates may apply to this. Get the Secret War on Cash report. It's completely free to my listeners. Hello, my friends. How are you? The phone number, 877-973-7425, should you wish to be on the program. I got to I got to step back to something I was going to talk about in the first hour but the border conversation just dragged out. I, so I've been I've been I know some of y'all you're 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 skeptical of the polling but it's it's the only data we have to really assess the race and thus far in the primaries it's actually been pretty good. So I'm rolling with it and, and but here's the problem before you before you turn me off just listen to this. The Democrats believe the polling. Whether you do or not, Democrats believe the polling. And they're choosing to ignore the data. This is part of the problem. And I wrote part of the problem with being in the bubble. And I wrote about this this morning. This is my my, my morning email uh, before the show notes. So you can text data to 33777, subscribe. The Democrats are in such a bubble, they're not willing to listen to the American public. They, the Democrats, cannot conceive of Donald Trump winning in November. They they, they didn't in, in 2016 either. Remember, Hillary Clinton actually moved resources in the primaries in 2016 to help Trump get the GOP nominee, nomination because she was convinced 
he would be the easiest one to beat. And look what happened. I mean, to this day, they can't honestly assess how terrible Clinton was as a candidate. They had to blame Russia when it wasn't Russia spending a few ads on Facebook that did it. It was the Clinton campaign. They were terrible. They thought the whole world would be like Brooklyn. Wrong. Um, The Democrats have a real and serious problem, and it is this, in a nutshell. Donald Trump can and probably will be elected president in November. Let me say this again. Granted, we're in early February. Events change things. The data can change. Some of the polling has shifted. But Donald Trump can and very well will become president of the United States in November. And the Democrats cannot conceive of it happening, which is one of the very reasons it will happen. They're not listening to the American public. The Democrats are in a bubble. You can get in a bubble. I can get in a bubble. We can all get in bubbles where it becomes an echo chamber. We're only listening to people who already agree with us, so we get the amens and the hallelujah chorus. And frankly, I think uh, online Republicans are very in danger of being in a bubble. Frankly, I think one of the, the problems with the DeSantis campaign, and I still haven't written about it, but I want to, need to. One of the biggest problems with the DeSantis campaign is they got into a very online bubble. And so much of the DeSantis messaging and strategy was catering to the people who were giving them the amens on social media, and they just interpreted that as reflecting reality, and it absolutely did not. It's easy to get in a bubble. Hard to get out of a bubble. It is perhaps hardest of all to get out of the Democrats' bubble. Because who's in the bubble with the Democrats? the media. CNN announced this morning they're getting rid of Phil Mattingly from their morning show. I'm a big Phil fan, by the way. I like Phil a lot. He's a super nice guy, a straight shooter. Uh, he may be an uh, Ohio State fan, but I try not to hold that one against him. Ah, I kid. Got a lot of Ohio State listeners. I'm sorry, the, the Ohio State. He's a good dude. Uh, was their White House correspondent, moved to the anchor's chair, um, young, energetic, uh, plays it straight. I like him. They're bringing Jim Acosta in for a daily show on CNN. They're just going to go MSNBC light if they're bringing Acosta in. And that's part of the problem. Who's in the bubble? It's, it's people like Acosta. They're, they're, they're all in this bubble with the Democrats. They all hate Donald Trump, even the members of the media in this bubble. They hate Donald Trump. They cannot conceive of anyone voting for Donald Trump. They do not know anyone voting for Donald Trump. They despise anyone who might consider voting for Donald Trump, and therefore they shut out any contrarian views, and those contrarian views sometimes turn out to be right. The data is screaming at the Democrats. The data is screaming. I'm sorry, the data are screaming. It's plural, Mr. Erickson. You can hear it. Let me blow your mind this is wild. This is this is wild. This is going to hurt your head a little bit when you hear it. So just listen to me say it. I'm going to say it twice so that you understand my point, and then I'll explain it to you because you need to understand this point. More Americans believe Joe Biden is doing a good job as president than want him to run for re-election. Said a little less brain itching, 
there are more Americans who think Joe Biden is doing a good job than there are Americans who want him to run for re-election. Now, you're thinking, how are there more? Because you're thinking majority. No, 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 no. 41% of Americans think Joe Biden is doing a good job, according to NBC News. 41% of Americans think Joe Biden's doing a good job. Only 38% in the same poll wanted to run for re-election. So you can say within the margin of error, but the numbers are striking. Fewer people want him to run for office than think he's doing a good job. And even then, that's not a large number. In your casual conversations with your Democratic friends, if you have them, you know age comes up. They may say, well, Trump's old too, but that's an acknowledgement that Joe Biden is old. The number is there. The data is there. The data is visible for anyone who wants to pay attention to reality and get outside the bubble. Americans do not like Joe Biden, but you know the more striking data from the NBC poll? Yes, it is true that if Donald Trump is convicted of a crime, enough Americans would change their opinion on Donald Trump. They would go for Joe Biden. But you know what the data also shows? That that number might actually not really be true because it's not a huge number. And some of those, when asked other questions, the answers to those questions begin to present as people who are telling you they'll switch to Biden because they expect that that's the answer you want and they're too ashamed to admit they'd stick with Trump. Remember, Donald Trump tends to outperform his polling and the reason Donald Trump tends to outperform his polling is because there is an entire orchestrated campaign to get people to be ashamed of supporting Donald Trump. And so if Donald Trump is convicted of a crime and you're a horrible, awful, unpatriotic American, if you support a man convicted of a crime, what are you going to tell the pollster? You're going to tell the pollster, I wouldn't vote for him if he's convicted of a crime, even though you would vote for him if he's convicted of a crime. You just don't want to admit it. You don't want to acknowledge the truth because you know that there's a bullying campaign against people like you. So the Democrats, by orchestrating a bullying campaign against people who might vote for Donald Trump, are causing people to lie to pollsters. And if you ask the right questions in the right sequence, you kind of get the fact that the people are lying about it. And the reality is Donald Trump can and probably will become president of the United States in November. You know where he's gaining votes? Young black men and Hispanic voters, not just men. In the Hispanic community, men and women both are becoming Trump supporters. Why? Crime and jobs and the economy. There was an MSNBC survey last week. They were doing a, a focus group of younger black men, and one of them actually said we had jobs when Donald Trump was president. For all the good news about the economy right now and the macroeconomic picture and the relative rate of employment, you know one of the big issues with the relative rate of employment? It's people working multiple part-time jobs to make ends meet. So they're not getting benefits. They're making money to make ends meet. They're classified as having a full-time job when really it's part-time jobs. And people were working full-time jobs and making ends meet when Donald Trump was president. The Democrats have worked themselves into this bubble. And the press is so far in the bubble as well, they themselves just, they can't understand. Americans are screaming at them. All the data flashes red for Democrats that you have massive problems. And what they say is, yeah, there are problems, but they're manageable and Trump can't win. I can't tell you the number of Democrats that I encounter who just tell me flat out Trump can't win. 
You said the same thing in 2016, and you've justified your answer by claiming mythologically that it was the Russians who stole the election, despite all the evidence to the contrary that it was Hillary Clinton and her terrible campaign. You know what this race reminds me of? I've said this before, but let's jump into the Wayback Machine. The 2024 presidential race reminds me of the 1992 presidential race, but the parties are reversed. In 1992, the macroeconomic picture in this country had changed, and economically, the country was roaring back to life after a recession, a post-war recession after the Gulf War, and the country was roaring back to life. All the economic metrics had improved. The rate of growth in the country was up. Layoffs were down. Joblessness had declined. Full unemployment was on the horizon. People's wages were exceeding inflation. People were back to work. Everything was good, but at the macroeconomic level, people still didn't feel it. Their kids still didn't have jobs. Their neighbors didn't have jobs. Yes, people were starting to go back to work, but they were struggling to get back ahead. They felt like they had fallen behind and it was going to take too long to get ahead. And the Bush administration, the George H.W. Bush administration, and their pundits and prognosticators and editorial columnists were all screaming at people, you don't know how good it is. The economy is roaring. The macroeconomic picture is wonderful, and that's going to trickle down to you. You have no idea how good you have it. And then, and then, the Republicans became convinced with the macroeconomic picture improving, the Democrats had nominated a draft-dodging pothead with woman issues from a trailer park in Arkansas. And no American in their right mind would vote for a draft-dodging pothead with woman issues from a trailer park in Arkansas. And how did that go for you Republicans? Now in 2024, the Democrats tell us the macroeconomic picture is fantastic. All the talking heads of the media say, why are people so upset and ungrateful? The economy's doing so well. Look at all the data. Look at all the data. Who cares about your gas prices? Who cares about your grocery bill? Who cares about your salary in terms of inflation? It's all coming back. Wages are outpacing inflation right now. Joblessness, it's it's low. You're working multiple jobs, but at least you're making ends meet. And who cares about your grocery bill? And who cares about your kids? Because the macroeconomic picture is great. And oh my gosh, there is no way y'all will vote for a man who was accused of rape and lost a defamation lawsuit. And he's got multiple indictments and he's a horrible human being. There's no way you'd vote for a guy like that. Would you accept the major difference between 1992 and 2024 is this. Most of those Americans have already voted for this guy and they didn't know about E. Jean Carroll, but they saw him on tape bragging about grabbing women by their you know what, and they still voted for him. So good luck, Democrats, telling yourselves and anyone who will listen, there's no way Americans would ever vote for this guy because all of the polling from all of the pollsters is flashing red lights at you that this man's going to get reelected president of the United States because people may not like him, but they sure liked his economy. People may not like him, and they may actually like Joe Biden personally. But they sure as hell hate the job Joe Biden's doing. And when Donald Trump was president, we didn't have all these problems. So the people you say will never vote for Donald Trump, one, already voted for him, and two, no, they don't like him any more than you like him. But they're willing to vote for a guy who helped their home, helped their income, helped their kids' education, helped the world around them in ways that you Democrats have never appreciated Donald Trump did. 
And by the way, the people may not like Biden or Trump, but the people hate you people more than you are willing to admit. And y'all are so against Trump, they're willing to vote for him just to spite you. Never underestimate the power of spite. But you're in a bubble, and you're not going to figure it out until it's too late for you to do anything about it. And I will absolutely, should it happen, laugh. It's just absolutely amazing to me to see the, the, the so, you know, like, take the, the Republican primary. Um, all the media all the time was, why aren't Donald Trump's uh, opponents trying to lay a finger on him? They're not doing anything to try to stop Donald Trump. You know what? You guys in the press aren't doing anything to try to push Joe Biden out of office. You're not doing anything to try to convince Joe Biden to drop out and change the nominee to save you. Joe Biden is the nominee is near fatally flawed. Yeah, there could be a surprise. Events change things. The indictments really could change things. If Donald Trump gets convicted, you're still got a long way until November. But you're saying it can never, ever happen, Donald Trump getting reelected. It's happened once. It can happen again. And you people are the clueless ones. Now, laying the groundwork for Republican successes, among other things, and fighting Joe Biden on this ridiculous liquid natural gas ban is Americans for Prosperity. They're going out talking to people about Biden's energy policies that are wrecking the country and, again, will play a role in defeating Joe Biden. Americans for Prosperity is raising awareness in the states at the grassroots level of what's going on and also has plans to fight what Joe Biden is doing with the LNG ban. You can be a part of the process of fighting for the right, fighting for limited government, and fighting to roll back Biden's ridiculous policies with Americans for Prosperity. All you do is go to americansforprosperity.org slash Eric today. americansforprosperity.org slash E-R-I-C-K. Go sign up with Americans for Prosperity. They'll teach you how to be an effective grassroots activist, how to go door-to-door, how to make persuasive cases to your neighbors, your local government, your state legislature. Americans for Prosperity wants you as a conservative activist on their side. Go check them out at americansforprosperity.org slash Eric today. As you are probably aware, the state of California is raising the minimum wage for fast food workers to $20 an hour in April. You will be shocked to learn that there are layoffs, more robots, and higher prices coming. It's from the Wall Street Journal. It's a 25% increase from the state's broader $16 an hour minimum wage. Restaurants, including McDonald's, Chipotle, Jack of the Box, and others, say they're going to raise prices in California as a result. Some McDonald's franchisees are estimating hundreds of thousands of dollars per restaurant and added labor costs. Everyone's going to play more. Chipotle raised its menu prices four times in the past two years and expects to raise it even more. And a lot of them are switching to automation, robots, kiosks for ordering, and um, getting rid of delivery food drivers relying more on DoorDash, things like that. It's, it's actually hurting the economy. People never think about these things. It sounds so good. Let's raise people's wages with the minimum wage law. But the ramifications, it hurts the poor. It hurts the middle class. And it actually hurts the worker. Because as much as the progressives want to believe that everyone's going to get $20 an hour for work, a lot of them are going to lose their jobs because the companies can't afford it. They have to make a profit. Why do they have to make a profit? Because they are a private business that makes a profit. 
Uh, as a reward for those who took the risk on opening the business, they get the profit, oftentimes pouring a lot of the profit back into the business. The left fundamentally has no appreciation for that. Burger King is going to install digital ordering kiosks with California as a key focus. Uh, and then one franchise of a new company says it's going to pause expanding franchises in California because economically they won't be able to meet their metrics. Good job, California. Good job. I'm sure you'll sleep well at night knowing all these people are suddenly going to not have jobs and the poor are going to pay more to eat there.